Hello, and welcome back to the Clavio Data Science Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I hope you enjoy your stay. I'm your host, Michael. And I'm your host, Zach. Data science solutions are often multifaceted and have many distinct faces or angles to consider. This month, we're going to focus on two that are somewhat easy, but dangerous to overlook. How you present data and how users first encounter with your solution sets the tone for their entire interaction with it. In Clivio, as with many other web applications, there is a natural place to talk about both of those, the homepage. It's difficult to overstate the importance of the homepage. It's the one page that you know just about everyone's going to see no matter what they log in to do. And so subtly reducing friction on your homepage can smooth every single interaction your users have with your app. And conversely, putting up minor barriers between your users and the value they're looking for can start off every interaction on the wrong foot. Clavio's homepage recently went through a redesign, and we're sitting down with the team that designed, executed, and shipped those changes. This is a cross-functional team. We've got a product designer and two software engineers on the podcast today, so no matter what aspect of product development you come from, you should be able to hear something from a new and valuable perspective. Let's go ahead and start off with introductions. I'm going to ask each of you, please give a quick introduction of yourself, the team you're on, and what you currently do at Clavio. Let's go ahead and start off with Nick. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, Nick. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so my name's Nick. I'm a software engineer on the home team, and I've been with Clavio about seven months. Very nice. Next up, Brian. I believe this is your first time on the podcast as well, right? Yes, yes. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Yes, my name is Brian Allen. I'm working on the home team, although that is finished now as we're talking about. So now I'm working on building out some new analytics features that we're really excited about. And I've been at Clavio about a year and a half now. Very nice. And Griffin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm a product designer at Clavio. I've been here for just over three years. I think it was on one of the earlier podcasts Mm -hmm. back in the day. And I've also worked on the designs for the podcast as well. It feels insane to say this, but around 30 episodes ago. (laughs) Yeah, just absolutely crazy that I've been here that long. But I work primarily with our intelligence team right now working on some flow stuff and also on revamping pretty much our entire reporting and analytics journey inside of our app. I will point out to podcast listeners, although Griffin hasn't been physically on the podcast in a bit, he's been with you this entire time. If you see the logos, the logos we use in our our medium write-ups and like as the individual episode faces in whatever podcast thing you're listening to this on, those are designed by Griffin and Ali. So uh, Griffin's been here the whole time. You just might not have noticed directly. So yeah, glad to have you back on just to recognize that as well as everything else going on. Thank you all for coming on the show today. Let's go ahead and start off by setting the stage. So obviously the homepage doesn't exist in a vacuum. Clavio had to have a homepage before this work started. Just to set the stage, what was the Clavio homepage like before the redesign? And in particular, one thing I'm interested in is what did people do there and how long had the current paradigm been in place before any of this work started? Yeah, I can take that from the design perspective. I am fairly certain that the homepage of Clavio hadn't been touched pretty much since Clavio's first released back in 2013, I think it was. So it's a page that users were very comfortable with and they, you know, knew exactly what was on there. And pretty much it was a place that users could come in, see their revenue, their Clavio attributed revenue, their overall revenue see a list of all of their flows and all of their campaigns that have happened in the specific time period that they were looking at. Yeah, it was very analytics heavy. You could see 
a little bit of data on all of your flows, all of your campaigns. You could like, you know, click on the flow, bring you to that flow. I think the kind of interesting thing about that is like, if you have hundreds of flows, you'd see like the entire list. So you could like scroll endlessly. And it was always kind of overwhelming for potentially some of our bigger customers. Another potentially interesting thing to note is that the homepage had this horizontal tab experience on it. So that's in addition to all the vertical nav that Clavio uses site-wide. And so what do you do on the homepage? Well, it kind of depends on what tab you're on. You know, the homepage kind of is many things to many people. And over time, a lot of those tabs on the homepage sort of became semi-redundant to nav items in the nav bar. So you could kind of, you know, do the same or similar things from two different places. We were trying to kind of unify those. That's really interesting. Yeah. So this is a big deal. I mean, we're talking about a page that's been established for 10 years that everyone who interacts with Clavio goes through at some point. And, you know, making changes that large on a page that's this prominent is, you know, obviously a really big undertaking. You know, you talked a little bit about the features of the old page. I'm, I'm curious to get into the new design. But before that, how did you approach the design, both determining what functionality needed to be on the page and determining how that functionality would appear on the page? Yeah, well, we're really fortunate at Clavio that we have a design research team that was there to support us throughout this whole process. I mean, it's been just about a year since we kicked off this project. So there's been tons of involvement pretty much across the entire company to help get it to where it is today. So really to start though, we kicked off with a research sprint that was really trying to determine how users are currently interacting with the homepage and all of those tabs, what's going well for them, what isn't going well for them, what's being used, and really what could be moved elsewhere that could improve the experience overall of when you first come into Clavio. What do you need to take action on immediately that might be there now or might not need to be there now? I think sort of ideologically, one of the things we were thinking about in the end was trying to make it more like if you think about a restaurant, like when you first sit down, they give you like a list of specials, right? Like this is a variety of items sort of curated by the chef. They're highlighting things that they want you to to look at versus the old homepage or the old Clavio restaurant. It could kind of be a little bit more like you sit down at your table and they just put down a full rack of ribs in front of you. And you might have been there to order ribs. Like I love ribs as much as anybody, but that's not necessarily what you're looking for. And that's kind of the experience of looking at, you know, flows performance of 100 flows over 20 different time periods, which is what you could do on the homepage. Yeah, I think we also definitely like kind of curated what we wanted them to see. Like we kind of limited the timeframes that they could see. We kind of provided like a journey. So first we'll look at your conversion performance. And then we know that typically, I believe it's the flows that are the next most important. So after the conversions, you can go to your flows, followed by your campaigns, then finally look at your form. So we kind of have this like curated, kind of simplified view. So it's not like this overwhelming process of what to look at as kind of Nick mentioned. We have a very high level overview of everything. And then we give you kind of the tools to get to the place that you need to be if you want a deeper dive. So one question before moving on, Griffin, you mentioned that you were doing user interviews around how people were interacting with the web page and what they were using, what they weren't. One thing I'm curious about, you know, we talked about how this page had been pretty much unchanged for 10 years. Had Clavio done this kind of research before? And were there any unexpected findings from this? And, you know, 
what was the outcome of that overall? Yeah, I need to I need to think back now. It's it's been a while. I mean, I think that one thing that was really interesting was that I don't think we really realized until we started doing research was that there's stuff on the homepage that is only on the homepage, but probably doesn't belong there. One example of that is like flows data. Like previous to like the last three months, we didn't have any data associated with your flows in the actual flow space. And that was definitely a miss on our part that we weren't doing that. And home was really the only place that we could do that. So it was uncovering kind of those interesting data patterns that I don't think we would have realized if we hadn't started talking to users and kind of challenged what was on the homepage right now. That brings up a really interesting discussion in my mind. Obviously, that's a fairly big decision to make. And I'm interested, how do you actually make a decision like that? It's a fairly large thing to say, hey, we need to build our feature the right way. So to do that, we kind of have to build a different feature on a different page that is related, but kind of, you know, we're not building the homepage here, right? I guess I'm very curious to hear both from a design perspective and an engineering perspective, how did you come together and determine that was the right decision from both of those angles? Yeah, I can take it from the design perspective first if you want me to. So it's not as simple as just saying, hey, we're going to do this. Let's ship it out to everyone and release it like we're making that decision. That's just not really how we make decisions here at Clavio. The first challenge and the first hurdle that you have to figure out is we don't own the flow space. So we have to go in and chat with that team who actually owns that space and make sure that they're okay with us going in and making some changes. So we have to go and present them with the reasons why we want to do this, back it up with some user research and have that data there and that strong reasoning as to why we want to make that change. And then the second piece there is we don't just release it. You make that decision incrementally by rolling out some A-B testing. You roll it out to a small amount of users to start, see what the feedback is. You want to roll out to a small amount of users so you're not making such a huge change that it causes a ton of problems for the users and how they're interacting with that. And you really just want to kind of pressure test, is this a change that people want to be seeing? And how do you balance that fairly large shift of you're no longer going to home to see these changes. Now you're having to go into flows to see that data. And overall, it was super positive. It wasn't a huge, long testing process to actually get that change shipped because we saw pretty quickly that this really makes sense from the journey of our users looking for their analytics. From an engineering perspective, I think it was kind of interesting being on the home team where you can really get involved in all the other teams. There's campaigns, flows, reporting events. Like there's so many teams that are kind of working together, kind of showing similar things where maybe campaigns has a certain way that they're doing analytics kind of in the back end. Flows has their own way. And theoretically, they should kind of all be consistent. And sometimes over the course of designing the homepage and then kind of working with the flows team to have analytics on their page, we see maybe a little bit of inconsistencies here and there where teams are using or querying our database in slightly different patterns. And I think that really helped us kind of coalesce together and figure out how we can go from being on the homepage where you're seeing, you know, these values for these campaigns and then being able to click into the campaigns page and kind of seeing, you know, the same values and making sure everything's consistent. So that that was kind of good, kind of working together with all the teams to make sure we're all, you know, using the same query patterns 
and things like that to make sure our customers are getting kind of a trustworthy experience, make sure they know what they're getting, you know, with this value here is going to be consistent across the page and they, they know that they're getting correct analytics. Another thing to keep in mind too, you know, even if we're working on some code that's owned by another team, we really all to always were working towards achieving our goals because we want to remove this element from the homepage. And if it doesn't exist anywhere else, then that's just a blocker for us. We need to go make it exist elsewhere before we can continue on on what we actually want to put on the homepage. And also we were able to contribute to some sort of like broader Clavio wide efforts throughout that process too. Like for instance, when you look at the flows list page, well, Clavio has this goal, this site-wide goal to refactor all the front end code to use React. But the flows list page was one of these items that was not rendered in React. So in addition to adding a feature to it, we were able to take on that tech debt. Or if it was in React, it wasn't using like the latest and greatest component library components. So yeah, we're, we're able to basically take on that tech debt and work toward achieving our goals. So it's sort of like it's helping both teams progress, which, you know, I think it's good for us to have. The home team is in just this unique position where we rely on collaboration with a lot of other teams. And I think it's good for us to be able to step in and kind of help them out with their refactoring goals, stuff like that, too. Yeah, I think we got a lot of like really positive feedback from a lot of teams, including the Flows team, because, you know, they're focused. The Flows list page is important, but they're focused on making these really high quality flows that are, you know, benefit our customers. And so we have a lot of good front end experience. Nick in particular is front end focus. And so we really got in there and massively improved that flows list page. And that was, you know, incredible for them that we could handle that while they, you know, were optimizing their flows for, for our customers. It's funny. I've, I've got a question written out next, and I feel like I just probably heard part of the answer. The As you mentioned, this collaboration goes far beyond the flows team. You mentioned campaigns, you mentioned reporting, you mentioned a number of other teams. I think a natural question to ask when you're working with this many teams is, how do you actually balance working with all of those different functions and all of those different teams and still finding space to kind of own your own destiny as a team and drive forward your own mission? I think I might have just heard part of the answer, which is be willing to do things like help them out with their own tech debt at the same time. I imagine that greases the wheels a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely helping out their tech deck. I think, and maybe Griffin can definitely be the expert in talking about this, but I think one of the things that I like the most is a lot of the stuff that we were doing on the homepage and flows list page where, you know, you could reuse components and it was an opportunity to write, build consistent components that could be used across pages. And so that gave Griffin the opportunity to write, you know, something that would be used several different places so that we can kind of have a more consistent, unified experience across the app. Yeah, absolutely. The new campaigns list in Campaign Calendar View that was just released is like a great example of that. We did not have like standardized filtering components that go across the top of list pages. So that was something where we could work with the home team, could work with the flows team. And in turn, we're also working with the campaigns team and closely aligning with them to make sure that hey, these are two list pages. They function pretty similarly, albeit different product areas, but we should be reusing these same patterns so users aren't having to relearn how to use each of these spaces and know where different things are. We should keep these all consistent, use the same buttons, the same CTAs, the same dropdowns to allow users to filter, search, and understand that data on those pages a lot easier and quicker. It really lowers that cognitive load that users have in each of these product areas. 
another benefit that we'll hopefully get in the long run too off all this collaboration is that if your team or your feature set that you're working on happens to be three clicks away from the homepage, it's buried a little deeper. But in certain circumstances, we might want to communicate to our user like using this feature that is three clicks away is actually like the most important thing you could be doing right now. We want to put stuff like that at the top of the homepage. And I think like setting up these relationships between the teams will maybe make it a little bit easier in the future for them to basically come knocking on our door saying, we want to get this on the homepage. We actually kind of, I think, thought that there was going to be maybe more of that in the initial MVP. But now it's certainly something that we're looking toward adding and keeping our eye on for new iterations of the homepage. Yeah, I think there's like a world where we have like maybe like notifications or new releases that are like advertised on the homepage and that we can kind of build the infrastructure that like if a team has something that they want to put onto the homepage, we already have components or backend code or whatever to like very easily plug things in and out as the features are being released. Yeah, and that's that's something that people I think are very used to, right? You log into Gmail, they just launched a new feature, you see it the first time you're there. Like it's it's not like that's a new pattern to people. Mm-hmm. So it might be worth backing up a little bit. Y'all have been talking a lot about components and you know, particularly about the new components, the newly designed components. And you know, it might be worth explaining to the audience what this means. So what is a design component? And what did it practically mean that you were working with new ones? Yeah, a design component is really, at its most basic form, is just like a functional piece that makes up a UI. So it can be something as simple as a card or that content goes in, or it could be a dropdown. And it's all these pieces that put together create the UI and in turn, like once then all put together creates a UX. So buttons, dropdowns, even tables and graphs, like these are all components that we use and they're standardized. So every team that uses them, it's going to work and function the exact same way. So on the design system side, we've been going through kind of a rebuild of our entire design system and we've now published it out publicly. It's called Ascent. So there's tons of new components there and old components that have been refactored, rebuilt. And we used a lot of those new components and we were probably the first team to use a lot of them. So we had to basically do our own QA of a lot of these and make sure that they were working for us and would in turn work for all the other teams that are going to be using them in the future. Yeah, I was just about to talk about that. We have an amazing front end team. I've certainly collaborated with them a lot. They are very easy to reach out to and work with the new components that they're building out. And because we were kind of in the soft launch of the homepage, you know, not that many companies had it available to them. So we could take advantage of these like brand new experimental components. And it was really fun kind of playing around with them, you know, seeing how beautiful they look, you know, the top of the line, newest components, you know, helping out finding the occasional bug that they were very quick to address. And it was a really great process that helped make, you know, the homepage top of the line on our app. Another thing is that the, so we have a component library, all these components that Griffin's been working with the component team to build, but they don't have any business logic in them. You know, there's no, I think that's kind of like the biggest issue is if you want to have some drop down with, you know, specific time frame options, like you actually have to like take that drop down, add the display values for those time frames. And you see across all these different packages, all these different teams, they're all doing the exact same thing. 
And that really gave us an opportunity to kind of dry up the code and have this shared package where we have all of these components with business logic that pretty much our team built because we're working with so many different spaces that we're kind of the ones that are constantly building these shared components with shared business logic. And I think that really helped simplify the code, make it more consistent and not have all these different packages, you know, repeating the exact same code that we could just do in one spot. I think that's a good segue. Obviously, this is a data science podcast. I think talking about front-end engineering brings up an interesting point. A lot of our audience, I imagine, is a little less familiar with front-end engineering in general. So I did want to take a step back here and kind of ask, were there any aspects of building such a large front-end feature that are uniquely challenging or that required any unique mindsets or approaches? I think it was probably the biggest thing was confronting that challenge that we've talked about of how this was a space that people were very used to using over a long period of time. It's the first thing they come to. And also it's doing many things on each tab. And just being able to figure out like, if we do want to get rid of a certain feature or move a feature somewhere else, how can we best communicate that to the users? like the new location that it's going to be in. I think that was maybe a bit of a lesson learned that we could have put a little bit more UX effort into kind of communicating like this is the new way to use the app because thankfully we did kind of like limit the impact as Brian was saying earlier because we were in beta for a long time, progressively increasing the amount of users and always having a button on the homepage to get feedback from them. So basically people were able to tell us like, the activity feed disappeared. I don't know how to get there. And then we responded to that by like adding a little bit more communication, sort of like I was alluding to before, where when you enter the beta now, you get a pop-up that tells you and links you to the activity feed. So you know where it's gone to, kind of stuff like that. I think that was a very challenging problem that yeah, it's definitely not my realm of expertise to be able to communicate design changes as an engineer. So we would definitely like, we'd have data that was on the old page that we repackaged onto the new page. And it would literally be the very first thing that we show them. And then in the feedback, our customers would complain that that data is gone, <laughs> even though that we somehow made it more prominent to find. So it's definitely a challenge from the design and product standpoint of how do we communicate these changes to the users. So another challenge that we discussed with this project was personnel turnover. And I was actually shocked to hear this because this is like far out of the ordinary, like maybe on a project, you might have one person turnover at some point on the project. But on this project, you were hit pretty hard. The product manager in particular turned over not one, not two, but three times. And I'm curious from the perspective of you all and, and the people that you were working with, what were some of the challenges that came from having four different viewpoints from such a key role on the team? And how did you solve some of those challenges? Well, speaking for myself personally, and like what my kind of day-to-day -day life was like, you know, you know, I'm kind of going through a career change. This is my first job since changing careers. I used to be like a scientist and I've kind of become addicted to, to <laughs> it. I absolutely love writing code. It's been an amazing experience. And so when we first had, we were building out the homepage, it was really well spec'd out. We had the product manager had a good, you know, understanding what the homepage would be. We had tons of projects and I could like really go to work, you know, balance different, you know, pull requests at once and really could make some serious progress on the homepage. But once that turnaround started happening, 
the kind of perspective on what the homepage should be shifted quite a bit. And that kind of lessened that the kind of the pace of the project. So I, I didn't have as much to do. So I guess it kind of was a little bit frustrating at times in that sense. And there would be times where I, you know, built out this new card that we were, you know, that seemed like it was good, but then the new product manager would be like, no, I don't think our customers want that card. Let's just kind of get rid of that card. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. I just like, you know, spent like all week last week doing it. It was kind of a, a wild experience, but at the same time, you know, I think we ultimately got to, you know, a good homepage, really, you know, listen to the feedback, the customers, it was good getting the multiple perspectives of the different product managers. And I think it, uh, everything ended up really, really good. Another aspect of that, I think that this plays into what I was saying earlier about how we hoped to incorporate more features from throughout the app onto the homepage. And I think that a lot of that, if having had one consistent PM, they could have been orchestrating that stuff behind the scenes, you know, because that kind of at least best, the best way that that can start is from one PM and another PM agreeing that this would be a good thing and then prioritizing it for both teams. And instead, I think like as each person, I don't know if those conversations were happening and kind of fell apart as each person transitioned off, but in the end, we didn't have basically other teams offering, except for a couple instances being like servicing the uh, anomaly alerts on the homepage. And now we're also showing new onboarding content on the homepage. But I think we hope to have a lot more sort of like guest star features on the homepage than we ended up getting. I think some of that could be attributed to the PM turnover. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I definitely seemed like maybe some of the teams weren't as well aware of the homepage redesign, but that may have been because there was kind of an inconsistent relationship between, you know, whoever our PM was and the relationships they had with the other teams, where occasionally I would like maybe ask an engineer on like the forms team, like a question, you know, a niche question about how forms work. And they would be like totally surprised that there was a homepage redesign. They're like, oh, I wish I'd known about this. We would have, you know, requested this feature and this feature to be on the homepage. And that may- maybe had to do with uh, some of the PM turnover. It's funny how at the end of the day, so many things just boil down to like people knowing that a thing is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds cliche, but communication is so important, especially with turnover. And I think that that's huge in how you solve for that that change that was happening having good documentation of decisions we've made, having the research team have good documentation of what we've learned from our users, keeping our spec up to date, keeping our design files up to date, like all of these things play a role in not only keeping people up to date as new new PMs were coming onto this, but also limiting the time it took for people to kind of get up to speed with where we were at. It was super key, super imperative for pushing this project forward throughout the last year. It was, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you don't think about these things until you actually do an engineering job and then go through a few projects that are really rough. And then you realize like what the problem is, that communication and documentation are really just almost more important than like any other part of the process for keeping people on the same page. Like you can have something take 10 times longer because everyone is just running around doing different things and people aren't on the same page about things. So I think that those are really good points. I think that can be some of the issues with how it's like very easy to have duplicate code where Mm. I would like build out this new component on the front end. I think I did a great job. Then, you know, 
a few days later, someone's like, oh, you know, we already have that in this package over here. I was like, oh, okay, wow. If I'd only known that that already existed and just, yeah, I'd probably be better if there was like, I don't know, some centralized source of documentation that'd be like, does this already exist? Oh, it does. Great. I don't have to spend like all day building out something new. Right. I mean, even as you were talking about before, you found that all these different teams were kind of doing the same patterns with the same components and just being able to see that at a high level, like no one had had those conversations before you were able to save a ton of time and, you know, get rid of a ton of tech debt. Absolutely. So one last thing that I want to have full discussion on is the release of this feature. This is obviously a huge project overall. This is not just some little feature that you're rolling out. Generally, how did you release this? And what were you trying to track or monitor as you were rolling this out? We definitely approached it from several different angles. We did tracking of every user interaction, every click that they made. We would log that, and then we created up dashboards to see how often someone's clicking this link or, you know, changing a statistic or clicking, you know, changing a time frame for their analytics. We we tracked every single thing. Nick's already mentioned this. We had a uh, an option to submit feedback, which was problematic at first because we allowed users to opt out. And the only time you could give the feedback is when you're opting out. So the problem with that was you only got the negative feedback. So the early release was, you know, we were just scrolling through all this, you know, in negative feedback. And it's like, wow, you know, our customers hate this. But then we eventually moved to a point where we give a general feedback and then we're like, okay, wow, all right. There are actually people who really appreciate this. We we were, you know, weren't being able, we weren't, we weren't getting the full perspective until we had that kind of general feedback. Yeah, self-selection bias, uh, it really does get you, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know if our customers know that there's like human beings on the other end of this, you know, feedback modal reading this, but they, they, there's occasionally some harsh, harsh, pretty harsh words. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, this was years ago, I think it was a redesign of the campaigns page. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even really a redesign, it was just a change, an update to be in React. So it looked slightly different. The functionality was all the same. And in theory, it should be better because it's more responsive. But we had a form to kind of collect verbatims on like, do you like this change? Give us a scale of one to 10. Tell us what you think about it. And I very distinctly remember one that was just one. Hate change. <laughs> that was the entire response. <laughs> we got our fair share of that. <laughs> but even to take a, a step farther back with this, just like to go about the entire release kind of process there. We had initially released a beta, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian and Nick, but I think it was like 500 accounts back at the beginning of December. I think it was 500, yes. And kind of, we just did an incremental release where we had released into beta, 500 accounts, and then we collected feedback. We were, you know, clocking all, collecting and tracking all of the, the metrics that we wanted to be following. And kind of over the next few months leading up into March, where we released right at the last day of March, we released this into GA, general availability. That whole time, it was kind of an incremental release to folks where we were collecting feedback, again, tracking metrics and making incremental changes based off of that feedback and off of the user behaviors that we were seeing. So that by the time we got to that GA, it was in a place that we were really comfortable with and we were we were tracking things in a positive way. Yeah. As an engineer, my absolutely like favorite part is like optimizing the performance where, you know, I want to build out something that has like the lowest loading time possible, you know, or 
old homepage was really slow because it was using ancient, you know, technology to query data. But for some of our biggest customers, we're showing like a overview of all of their conversions, which can be, you know, millions and millions of events that we're trying to like show, you know, instantaneously. And I thought, so we had, you know, a, a dashboard that was showing how long these endpoints were taking. And that was definitely like my favorite part of like, oh, you know, this is like taking like two, three seconds. That's too slow for our customers. You know, let me dig into the code and then figure out how we can get that down to like less than a second, you know, 500 milliseconds or something like that. So it was constantly every day going on, looking at the dashboard. Oh, the endpoints are still kind of slow today. Let's find a little bit of uh, ways to optimize performance. That was definitely my favorite part of the whole journey. Yeah, definitely a huge shout out to Brian for that, because not only did he basically write all the back end code, he set up all this monitoring, he's always paying attention to it. And he also used all like the latest and greatest efforts to unify like the data sources throughout Clavio. He's basically following all the best practices and did such a great job. So we got we got to give a shout out to Brian for that. Thank God this is all audio. I'm blushing. Another thing in terms of getting feedback. Nobody on this podcast was really involved with this, but they were doing like user research interviews where they would go through basically one-on-one and like watch the users use the new homepage and ask them like, you know, is it, does this make sense to you? Do you think anything should be different? And I think that all of that, like we had basically researchers doing that work. I think that all of like the summary of it was getting translated to the product manager so that they could make prioritization decisions. And I sat in on one of them. And I really think that that's just a great and totally worthwhile way to collect feedback. Because like we were saying earlier, you know, you're not getting the best out of these comments and the little forms that they're giving you. And I think you'd be surprised, like some of the people that wrote hate change in a form might actually be totally happy to give you like a 30 minute interview where they have like actually a lot of nuanced thoughts about it. The form was just not the best way to capture them. So I think that was a great part of the process that we used. There's also fun, like, you know, as an engineer, you're kind of building this thing out, not really seeing the impact. You're just like, oh, cool. I can see this thing when I go onto this website and that's a change I did, but you don't like feel the actual impact. And then Griffin would occasionally like send us a message of like someone posting about it on Twitter and like, oh, wow, I literally just built that yesterday. And then someone on Twitter just, you know, posted about it today and is super excited. So that was a that was a really cool feeling whenever I'd see that. Yeah, I think we're touching on a very interesting discussion here. This is so Griffin, we spoke before the episode and you mentioned a trade off that I think we're we're seeing a side of here, the the idea of weighing individual loud responses or anecdotes versus kind of larger aggregates. So like the kind of the the people who were responding hate change or making a loud response on Twitter about how much they don't like the new changes or how much they wish it did something versus kind of the overall performance that you're seeing in things like interviews or aggregate metrics or such. I guess my question is, how did you make the decision about how to prioritize those? And did anything from the beta release and the GA release of the feature really help back up that decision? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, especially with a page that hasn't been touched in 10 years, there's a lot of strong opinions and people are just comfortable with it. And in general, people people don't want to see change if it's going to have a little bit of a, a learning curve and getting them back up to speed with using a product. So we tried to limit that as much as we possibly could. But there's definitely times where some of the loudest voices are also, you know, the most negative of what was coming in. But something that 
we rely on on the design side and it translates into the product side is looking at metrics and trying to understand like through user interviews and surveys and such to get an understanding of overall you know like satisfaction with with a feature so on the design side we have something called an FII score and that stands for fast intuitive and inspirational and those are kind of three pillars that our design team has that we try to focus on when we ship features and every time we make product decisions so i tend to put a lot more emphasis on that over the one off feedback a tweet a response in a feedback modal because our findings there were very positive and it's it's hard to argue with a lot of them so a couple of those examples like overall task completion speed our new homepage increased that by 15% we increased our task success rate by 35%. There was an overall 7% increase in satisfaction and then like our overall FII score increased 9 points, which is pretty significant and there's very few features that have been released in Clavio that see that kind of results. So we put more emphasis on that on the design and product side, I think. Not to say we don't listen to that feedback because all feedback is important and we want to we want to understand where people are coming from and where we might be falling short. But if at the end of the day, if we can help our users complete tasks faster and more effectively, that's really our highest priority. I think, as always, I would like to end with some concrete advice for the people listening to this podcast. I'm sure some people in our audience either are currently or will at some point in the future be thinking about revamping their own homepage, either something for a personal project or something at work. What is one piece of advice you would have for someone who's in that position? I think for me, it's just be really sensitive whenever you're removing any features from your app, or even if you're just removing something from one place because it's already been moved to another place. You really need to like budget the time and UX resources and thought in order to make sure that you're communicating to your users what the new flow is and probably even like why, you know, why you're changing anything because people are just very hesitant toward change. I mean, I, none of us here can probably even remember or imagine what Facebook was like anymore, like before the news feed existed. But it didn't exist at one point. And when it did start existing, people were people hated it. They were like boycotting Facebook over it. And that just goes to show like how difficult it is to introduce these changes. Yeah. So and another thing is if you're just straight up removing a feature with no replacement and not just moving it, you need to be like 100 percent sure that no one used it or be OK with upsetting that one person that did use it. Both of those are valid options in some cases, but you need to know that you're going to hear from that one person that loved it exactly the way it was. Absolutely. That is so true. I think something closely tied to that is not being afraid to take big swings. We had tons and tons of ideas throughout this whole process of ways that we could improve it. And we we landed on you know where we landed, but it's so important not to be afraid to take those big swings and have data to back up or have reasoning to back up why you feel a certain way about those decisions because without doing that, you can't really, you know, push a product forward and make big change. That's going to have positive impacts for our users. So yeah, don't be afraid to think outside the box and be steadfast with those decisions. As long as you can back it up with data and solid reasoning to everyone involved. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. I think for me, I would say getting the discussions started early 
with the various teams involved. I'm pretty sure, you know, all the product managers were, you know, getting together, aligning on what to build. But I think from an engineering perspective, it's good to, you know, have your contacts in the various teams, make sure there's alignment on how we go about this. Just because, as I've mentioned throughout the podcast, there's so much shared code that it could easily be duplicated and it would just be good to kind of make sure everyone's aware of what's going on, how we're going to build things in kind of an efficient process rather than to some extent, I would maybe kind of do my own thing and then reach out to teams when it became necessary. But I think it's good to really get those discussions started before you absolutely need their opinion on something. All right. That is fantastic concrete advice. I want to go ahead. That's the end of the episode for today. So I want to take this time to once again, thank our panelists for being on Griffin, Nick, Brian, this was a fantastic discussion. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This episode, as all episodes of the Clavio Data Science Podcast are, is sponsored by Clavio. If you're interested in learning more about Clavio, Clavio's intelligent marketing automation platform makes it easy for marketers to centralize and use every piece of their customer data to deliver hyper-personalized experiences across all their channels, increasing conversions and revenue. You can learn more at Clavio.com, K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. If you liked what you heard on this podcast, then please subscribe to the Clavia Data Science Podcast. You should be able to do that wherever you're listening to this episode or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, consider leaving us a rating. Rate us five stars or give us a thumbs up, depending on which platform you're in. Also, consider leaving us a review. Reviews, ratings, subscriptions, all of these are very helpful. Obviously, another way to make sure that people hear content like the content you just heard is if you know someone who would be interested in hearing more about a large front-end project where engineers had to work across quite a few teams share this with someone directly share this with whoever you think in your life would be interested in hearing about this episode if you have any questions comments or concerns the best person to reach is me the best place to reach me is my twitter account that's lawson underscore m underscore t l-a-w-s-o-n underscore m underscore t thank you for listening have a great month